your weekly fix of Asian music. This is Asian Pop Nation. Welcome to Asian Pop Nation. I'm Senya. We've got an incredible show lined up for you tonight with some great discussions and an interview with Neon Shi. She's here to talk about her debut single. We've also got an amazing review from one of our team members, Aaron, about the highest grossing animated film in Japan of all time. If you're an anime fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we're also going to be talking about the lengths of K-pop activism. So continue listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Now we're going to kick off with a discussion that's a bit late to the party, I'm afraid, because the event we're talking about actually happened on Sunday, just a couple of days earlier. This is the Melbourne Japanese Festival. If you haven't been or haven't heard of them, well, you've come to the right place because we're here to talk about the annual Melbourne Japanese Festival and also what we would love to do if we were able to go to Japan and go to one of their incredible summer festivals. Let's kick it off with our team of Aaron, Ben, Celeste, John Paul, Gabby, who's going to come on a bit later to share her K-pop wisdom, and of course myself to discuss a little bit about the joys of fireworks, yukata, and food stalls. Let's take it away. Later in February, there's going to be like an online summer Japanese festivals run in um, Fed Square for the last few years. I just wanted to talk about like what, what we think about it and like what, what we would like being like a, a Japanese festival. Um, yeah, did you want to share, Ben, what some of the highlights are for you at the Melbourne Japanese Summer Festival and then what you would want to do at an actual summer festival in Japan? I personally find that um, in the last few years, it's been a bit underwhelming because... I feel like the name, the Japanese festival, you'd expect it to be like like the like how they have it in the anime. So what sort of things were you expecting from anime to come to life there? Usually at the Japanese festival, they don't really have a whole lot of like food stalls to pick from. Many like festival games like you see in the anime, like the one where you have to catch like the goldfish. Yeah. Mm. Um, the only one I can think of that I remember is like um, pulling a, a string. to. Um, last year, um, two of the games I played, one, I, I won the Japanese dog barking noise. When, when? Mm. Um, I won bottle opener and a little Bulbasaur keychain plush. Has anyone else been to the Melbourne Japanese Festival? I went last year because, you know, AP, AP <laughs> had to do something. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it more than other years um, because I decided to go and watch the full performances that happened during the festival and yeah there wasn't many stores but the Japanese community is small within Melbourne and they get together what they can they do what they can and yeah I think we played the same game because I also got a bottle opener with like minimal effort (laughs) (laughs) I did enjoy some of the sweets they had they had like Dango this year previous years they didn't have it but I enjoyed it this year because they have the like the sweet soy sauce on top oh dango you've ever tried that yeah Yeah. Mm. did you eat the warm dango or the nah (laughs) it was you know the one on the stick and then it's got the sauce going down it oh yeah 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 so that one I ate because the last time I had it I had it in Japan and I really loved it but when you come back to Australia there's nothing that exists that's why yeah you can't really find it elsewhere yeah tormented by the memories it was a surprise to see it 
So something I would like to see at a festival is like fireworks or the ability to like hold sparklers and celebrate mm-hmm. at night. Because the river's next door. It's at Fed Square. The river's was it the Yarra River? Is that what? Yeah, it's yeah, that's what. It's yeah, called. it's like right there. We could like do sparklers, have like a little fireworks show, like in the anime. But you yeah, know. that's a classic scene, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Japan has such a variety of different fireworks, but all we have here is like sparklers. And- yeah, that's it. I, I really want to try. Um, you know the weird. Weird worm ones, like you yeah. put it, it turns into this weird worm. <laughs> like have you seen those before? Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Oh god, I, I want to try those. The one highlight from last year's festival for me was that there was little Shiba Inu meetup, and I basically got to pet a bunch of little Shibas. They're all very cute. Aaron, how about you? Is there anything you've seen in happen at Japanese summer festivals that you'd want to go see? I think the only thing for me to be going there is probably the food venue section. Like I'm a hungry person. I always eat food a lot, so I need to find something to eat a lot of times at, like, if I go to a festival or all that stuff. Mm. What food, though? Anything, really. It could be those yakuyasa, what about, or like the circle ones you have to stick on it, or if not, just go for chicken, ca- uh, not chicken casserole. Uh, Yakitori? word right. Kasudan, that's a chicken kasudan. Uh, oh, yum. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say, yes. I don't know what I would want to do at a summer festival because everything would be quite an experience. One thing I definitely want to do is dress up in yukata and go to a festival as opposed to just wearing casual clothes. I've done that, so... Really? How? Did you rent it? Oh, I have my own yukata, so I wear it. And then I go, but you can also rent it in the city. They have. Did you buy it from Japan? Is that how you got it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's my only yukata, so it's out of fashion, but like I'll just rock up in it being like, hey. I'll have to do that when I next go to Japan or find a kimono store mm. somewhere in Melbourne. Wait, do guys wear yukatas too? Yes. Yeah, it's a male version. Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't get how people can wear like yukatas in summer because I know they're like supposed to be like... Lighter than... Nah, it's super airy. Perfect to wear. <laughs> <laughs> And it covers most of your body, so I guess good sun protection as well. Yeah, definitely. I should buy one for uni. (laughs) Just rock up to your classes. If we return to studios, let's wear your cards. (laughs) We'll have another traditional show and have everyone dress in traditional dress. That would be cool. Yes, or at least like cosplay because um, at the Japanese Summer Festival, some people wear cosplay. Mm. I know that they're doing a competition, a dress-up competition this year, a virtual one, of course. Honestly, I think the online form works better for me personally because they'll have like live streams and stuff. So you can look up some uh, Japanese festival Melbourne Mm. and find out all the details on there. Yeah. So I think there's plenty in store for this coming summer festival. So yeah, do check it out at mjsf.com.au. Of course, that social media shout out to you might be a little bit outdated, but if you did end up going to the virtual Melbourne Japanese Festival, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You just heard our social media details in the discussion earlier. It's at Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we'd also love to hear what you'd want to do at a Japanese summer festival, because I know we definitely want to go to Japan. So we've got our fingers crossed. And we are just believing. But don't go away because we're going to come back with a review about To All The Boys 3, Always and Forever. So stick around. This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7.
You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. This is Senya here to bring you a review from my past self about To All the Boys 3, Always and Forever. I'm a big romance fan, and my aim is to convert you to being a romance watcher as well. Hopefully, this review does the trick. Pass me, take it away. Just about a week ago, a few days before Valentine's Day, the last film from the To All the Boys series has finally come out. And it's called To All the Boys 3, Always and Forever. So, for those who aren't familiar with the premise of the trilogy, it's pretty much about a Korean American high school girl, Laura Jean Song Kavi. And she wrote love letters to the people that she had crushes on, but was too scared to tell them in person. But of course, by some shenanigans, the letters are sent out to her crushes and through. Some strange turn of events of fake dating to make a certain ex girlfriend jealous. She ends up actually falling in love with one of the older recipients of her letters, and they have been dating in the last two films. Now, To All the Boys Always and Forever is a nice film. It's got an interesting take, perhaps not too original, but it is senior year for Lara Jean and her boyfriend. Peter. They go on a trip to New York, they go to prom, but of course there's that looming feeling of what are they going to do after high school? Are they going to go to the same college together? Are they going to make it? And all of these questions that go through one's mind because you're going in separate directions. And I think it was interesting because of that dynamic, because we've seen it before in high school films, but we don't really see, and I will declare that this is a spoiler, we don't really see the main character having to be in conflict with themselves between what they want romantically, which in this case, Laura Jean wants to be with Peter, but also what they want for themselves, and that is to be at a university across the country. And so that's what is interesting about this film is that we get to see a lot more of her family, of her friends. We get to see more of an ensemble interaction as we say farewell to all of these amazing characters, but it doesn't really have the same charm or the same character and wit. That it had in the original film. And I think this might be because they changed directors and screenwriters in the second and third film, which I thought was kind of disappointing because the first film was really what set the tone for the series. And we, or I, absolutely loved the dynamic of Laura Jean being a relatable but also unique girl. I've never seen an Asian girl in high school as the lead of a romance story. And having read the books when I was back in high school, it was, was great to see it on the big screen. And even though it's a very stereotypical romance film, I always say that romance is not about the destination. We all know how it's going to end up in a rom com, but it's about the people we meet along the way. It's about the journey. And the journey was. Really sweet, very touching. And Peter was charming. He was a very likable and considerate character. And, and that continues throughout the film trilogy. But the issue is, Peter becomes more personality less, I think. He becomes what seems to be a stamped, superficial, perfect boyfriend. He's considerate. He does grand romantic gestures. He's a very nice guy, but we don't really see him wanting anything or see him doing anything beyond what he does with Laura Jean. It's almost like, and I understand that the, Laura Jean's perspective is the way we see this film, but it feels like Peter, he's constantly smiling. He's 
making goofy jokes, but that isn't what makes a character or person three-dimensional. There's more to it, and we do see his relationship with his father in the film, but it's not enough to make us understand where he's coming from. It's almost like his younger brother and his mom, which, who we see only in the first film, never make an appearance again. Also, John Ambrose and Josh. Joshua is meant to be their next-door neighbor. Where did he go? It's not like he moved houses. I understand that the film is very short span to cover a lot of story, and even in the second film, they took out a lot from the original source material. But I just think that while it's a great start for a romance film with an Asian female lead, I hope it's not the end. I hope it is a start of more unique stories, and I personally love romance stories, so I would love to see more of this happen in the future. But I just think that the third film, while it was better than the second, believe me, the second was as stereotypical as you could be with its misunderstandings and love triangles. I still think that the third is better overall, but it's not funnier. It doesn't really have a heart the same way that the first film did, which is disappointing, but... Not everything can be perfect. And I'm not really sure what the perfect film would be. But I did hear that Jenny Han, who was the original author of To All the Boys series, is actually having her other book trilogy adapted into a TV series, I believe. It's The Summer I Turned Pretty. So, main takeaways from the film. It had a unique premise, a unique resolution, but it's still quite cheesy. The characters didn't have as much dimension, especially Peter. Laura Jean continues to make the same mistakes that she does across all three films, which really isn't much of a testament towards her character development and growth. And I think that overall the romance started to lack towards the end because it seems like they're, the only way that there can be romance is if there's drama. And I don't think that's necessarily true. They did show moments of them having some time watching movies, cuddling on the couch but we don't really see them learning about each other more. They're just in this constant state of comfort and stagnancy, and maybe this is just my preference when it comes to movie relationships, or even just romantic relationships in general. I think you're meant to grow together. And it's all the boys they don't. It's the same issue, each movie, miscommunication. People talk to each other. Anyway... <laughs> I could rant about this for hours, but I think we should get back into the music. And I have to say that Laura Jean is probably the main character in any book or medium that I relate to the most. There's actually a line in the book that I have put on my Instagram and Twitter bio, and it was a way that they described Laura Jean's fashion. It was grandma meets little girl chic, which is exactly what my fashion sense is. <laughs> and she likes reading romance. And she likes baking. I mean, I've never been stuck in a love triangle before, and that's not something I necessarily want to be in. But it was just great to see a version of yourself on the big screen. We'd love to hear your thoughts on To All The Boys, Always and Forever, and also the To All The Boys series in general. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin at 90.7, here to bring you some amazing Asian pop culture goss and also amazing Asian music. Guess what? We're going to be talking about the power of music here with a group discussion on K-pop fans and their ability to change the world. So don't go anywhere. This is Gabby here to kick the discussion off. 
K-pop is really well known for its very loyal and kind of influential fandom. I mean, they boycotted a presidential rally and hijacked multiple Twitter hashtags. So I guess the question would be how far can their power go? And apparently they're using this power for the greater good. So as K-pop became a global phenomenon, the philanthropic efforts of its stars, like from donating to orphanages to planting trees and the Love Myself campaign, Army in the House, <laughs> they pushed fans to adopt like similar approaches to social and environmental problems. Like for example, I think BTS made a donation to, for, to support the efforts to combat COVID-19. And the fans also uh, joined forces to donate the same amount the stars did donate. And also in December 2020, Blackpink released a video to raise awareness ahead of the United Nations Climate Summit. Yeah, and not only the BTS army, apparently this is a common practice among fandoms of Korean stars. They've planted trees and even adopted animals in the name of their celebrities. I forgot, I think something similar happened when I was still sucked in the EXO fandom. A lot of those actually happened. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow. And I guess they've also named stars after their celebrities, but I don't know what's the social the social responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, one Twitter user said that some Korean media outlets said that Koreans should reconsider buying Australian products because the government isn't serious about producing carbon emissions. So yeah, I don't know. What, what do you guys think of celebrity philanthropy? Like, think it helps address issues of stuff like climate change and COVID-19. How about you, Gabby? Do you have thoughts on it and being part of those fandoms? Well, celebrity philanthropy, it's not like they're siding with political parties or something, because like the moment you touch on political bias, that's when, especially in Korea, that's when sh stuff starts getting messy. But I guess mm -hmm. because they're doing it for a good cause, like, I guess my closest example would be the Love Myself campaign. I think it really resonated to me because the messages they kind of convey there, it kind of relates to kind of the stuff I need to work on in terms of personal development. Stuff like that would kind of not only attract fans more, but it's spreading a good message, whether like you're a fan or not. Everyone knows the UN. So if they know the UN's got that campaign, it's not only going to limit themselves to um, Korea only or fans only, so to say. It's almost kind of saying that K-pop is for everyone, not just for fans or not just for Koreans. And I think it does help address issues like climate change because celebrity activism is kind of a pretty powerful tool given their influence and Blackpink, man, you know, they're pretty, you know how influential they are. I was like, out of all stars, Blackpink, like, I'm not supposed to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a good thing purely because it's better to do something than nothing. Like, yeah. if celebrities is the way to get to people's hearts and to get them to care about these issues, then that's probably the best way of convincing people to contribute. Like, what you mentioned about the donations, was it BTS Army's donations to match... Yeah, BTS yeah. members. Mm, That's I think, incredible. I think like, yeah, that was like millions. And then they're like, let's donate the same amount. And I was like, wait, how many of you are participating in this again? <laughs> <laughs> what does everyone else think? Has anyone contributed in part of these campaigns before? Or heard about any others? But all this talk about activism just makes me want to listen to K-pop more. Maybe I should support them, you know? Go Is there yes. any good songs Go that are it. like activist songs or anything that uh, works? <laughs> I was going to say start with BTS, but since you said activism, I'm trying to, like, my mind. Oh, no, no, no. What's the one you were thinking of? Like... <laughs> Have there actually been activism songs, though? Except for the whole Love Myself album. Wait, that, no, that was... No, that was... Love Yourself series. That was to promote, like... 
And is that a good start? <laughs> yes, love yourself. Because it was important to, for people and in mental health and stuff. I can't remember what it was, but it was a UN campaign as well. Mm. Oh, that's activism technically, right? Yeah, yeah. so listen to yeah. the Love Yourself album. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a whole trilogy and it tells a story of how one ends up loving themselves. So Yes. That it's so cool. I love the song Love Yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I'll write that down. I was going to Go say, on. it's especially like fun when you're at the concert and they're singing the song Love Yourself and they're getting the whole audience to say they love myself uh-huh. as well. Okay. And it's just like, yes, preach it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what I, that's what I was going to say when I was, I didn't watch the concert, but I did watch it like online and in the theaters. And when you watch it in the theaters, I watched it in Indonesia, right? The the energy is similar to like when you're seeing them live. Like when yeah. Joan Cook is there, everyone was like, oh, bam! I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like whenever they're performing the cypher everyone's like i love myself and i was like oh there we go <laughs> and then at the ending they sang this i think it was the last song of the love yourself trilogy it's called answer with a colon love myself so the lyrics go like you showed me that i have reasons i should love myself mm. Paul, the whole cinema was singing to that and i was like uh-huh. i wasn't singing along i was holding back my teeth <laughs> I feel like that's a very powerful site. It'd be cool to watch. Never heard about this activation solo stuff until, well, right now, to be honest. Yeah, Aaron, convert to (laughs) (laughs) K-pop. Welcome to your K-pop conversion class. Brought to you by (laughs) What have I got myself into? Exactly. That's what's going on in my head right now. (laughs) But if you have a song that you like by a K-pop star that sort of brings out the activist in you or... Makes you love yourself. Do let us know on social media, Asian Pop Nation. Alrighty. You heard it here, folks. Do stick around because we're going to have our interview up next with the amazing Neon She. You don't want to be missing this one. We're now really excited to introduce Neon Shi, who amid the soaring skyscrapers in the never-sleeping city of Tokyo, she is the creation of Poptastic Ear Candy. Neon Shi is a unicorn human hybrid creature fusing the traits of her native British language and pop music star with inspiration from Japanese pop music and culture. And she's here to talk to us a little bit about her debut single, Future, which is this energetic and optimistic song that embraces the colors of British electronica, bubblegum J-pop, and even some 80s ambience. It's an unforgettable love song with some poetic words, and you'll get to hear the song during the interview today. So let's give it up for the amazing Neon She. Welcome, Neon She. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So lovely to be here. And congratulations on your debut single. Um, It was a great listen. I absolutely loved bopping to it. And I wanted to sort of ask, just before we delve into the way you created the song, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your background in songwriting and producing. So you sort of released several song covers before your debut single and you really put your own unique touch to them so how have those songs that you chose inspired you musically creatively or personally oh thank you so much I mean yeah I really wanted to make some covers before I released my own music to try and give people an idea of like what you say the the kind of music that I'm influenced by I really love pop music and I basically have just studied pop music my whole life and I've just I'm kind of obsessed with it 
And um, so that's why I chose the songs that I did. And uh, you may have seen that I did a Disney cover as well, the Aladdin song. And that's just because I grew up with the Disney films and they've influenced so much of my uh, my life and my music. Um, I've loved musical theatre my whole life. So that is why I chose those particular covers and why I did the covers before I released any music. I absolutely love musical theatre as well, so I can totally understand. And what is it about musical theatre that you think really inspires you creatively? And do you feel you've taken any of those influences in your own music? Mm, For sure. Musical theatre for me is just, it's like you play a character and you can be so expressive. Because what I really wanted to portray with this project, Neon She, for me, I wanted the whole thing to be all about art and self-expression, not having to fit into a box. And so that's why for me, it's, I mean, especially like when I was thinking about my image for this project, I really wanted to look at like stage clothes, stage makeup, and even going as far as like, I don't know if you've ever seen like the Disney parades at Disneyland, all the costumes, they're so beautiful and so bright and colourful. And that's really what I wanted to take inspiration from for this project. Definitely. And I was taking a look at your Instagram. I noticed a lot of like unicorns, animals and sparkles (laughs) sort of feature heavily on in your images. And I also get that kind of impression from future as well and has that always been a feature of your songwriting and producing or is that more for I guess the neon sheep project yeah I love unicorns actually I I think uh, unicorns probably my favorite animal and yeah I've always kind of had the perspective that life should be as magical as possible and so I really try to portray that in my music I just want the people who listen to it to feel like joy and happiness or just at least feel something deeply you know so that was for me it's really important for me to have like the sparkly imagery and like you said the unicorns and the bright colors because it's it is very much for the image of the project of course but it is what I love as an individual. You've also fused a bit of like electronic and bubblegum pop and 80s sort of ambience, <laughs> along with that musical theatre inspiration that you mm. mentioned before in your music. How did you know that they would work together? Because they <laughs> are quite, I guess, at first glance, very far apart in the music spectrum. What did you, <laughs> how did it come to be that you thought these would work well? That's a great question. That's a, That was a complete accident, actually, <laughs> because I have always written music on the piano and singing and that was kind of my my thing pretty much my whole life and then when I got really into recording music and producing that's when I could really experiment so much more with uh, different sounds and as I kind of progressed and learned more I really expanded my musical like listening and I I love uh, loved and loved more 80s music and this kind of um, experimental like especially since coming to Japan as well like so much more different kinds of music I've listened to and it's all kind of influenced by what I listen to myself and I think nowadays I just try and make things that I would personally listen to and what I feel makes me feel good and that's 
that's kind of just what comes out. <laughs> and you also mentioned about your moving to Japan has also、mm. inspired your music. How has your time in both England and Japan been an inspiration to you? Yeah, I mean, England has such an amazing music scene. And so I, I feel really lucky because I've always been really blessed to be surrounded by such influential people and great mentors and just friends who are really inspiring. And then moving to Japan really changed a lot for me because I went from being in a very comfortable situation to being in a country where not only I couldn't speak the language, but I also, you know, the whole lifestyle is completely different. I look very different. And it was just very interesting for me to make that change and have to kind of relearn so much of my life. And I. Really, last year was quite difficult for me because、mm-hmm. I felt like there was a lot of change and I had to adjust so much and I, I struggled. But、um, I've really come out the other side and really just thrown that difficulty into my creativity to kind of make the music that you heard, like the future、yeah. and the, the stuff that is to come. And I, I really learned how to channel that energy into something really positive. Forgive me if it's too personal, but what made you move to Japan?、Uh, it's a country that you weren't really familiar with the language or the culture.、Mm-hmm. You don't need、yeah. to answer it if it's not. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's very complicated, but the, the short answer is I wanted to move country. After I finished all of my education. Admittedly, I didn't think that it would be as far as Japan,、mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I basically wrote a ton of music and I released an album with、uh, another project, which I, I, I'm not going to really go into now.、Yeah. But, uh, I released a load of music and then, I,、uh, well, sorry, I wrote a load of music and I was like, I'm going to release this album in Japan. And that was like my ambition. And I did that. And then I kind of had to find my new path, which was when Neon Shi happened. So, yeah, it was, all, it was all in the name of music and creativity, along with some other things. But for me, fundamentally, it was always about trying to find new perspective、mm-hmm. from like an art history point of view.、Mm. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I also wanted to delve into a little bit more about future and how. You created it. Could you tell us a little bit about that process and how last year the struggles you went to sort of came out creatively into this mm. song? Mm. Well, Future was such a great song for me because I, as I said, I did struggle a lot last year. And then that song just came out of nowhere from not really being able to write that much. The last year, having quite a bad writer's block,、mm-hmm. and、uh, which, which I haven't really gone through before. And to go through that was very, very hard for me. And so when I could write music again, when that song came so naturally, it was just such a joy for me. I really felt like I could just be myself again. And、mm-hmm. um, as cheesy as that sounds, but that's just how it was. And future. Is so uplifting and it's about, it's like, a, you know, it's a really happy love song. And、mm-hmm. um, I just wanted people to hear it and feel really joyful and just kind of feel that lovely emotion that I felt at that moment. And yeah, like I said, it just came so naturally. I wrote that song in the space of about four or five hours. And then I just kind of went back and forth with some of my mentors and people. On the label, and we just kind of made it the best that we could, and then released it as the 
the debut single and it felt really really right yeah that's an amazing story and I think I definitely agree it's such an uplifting love song and it's something that I guess we can all listen to if we ever feel like we're alone or want some inspiration some (laughs) fun when you mentioned how it sort of came to you was there something that came about first was it the lyrics to the song was it the melody what tends to come to you first in the songwriting and producing process Yeah, this song, I believe that it was the chorus of the lyrics of the chorus came first. And it was very much like I was just sat by myself in my um, my desk. It was like a Saturday night, I think, Mm -hmm. and or maybe a Friday. And I it just came to me out of nowhere. And I I just kind of shot up and I was like, okay, I've got to write this down. And I just played in the chords so I, I wouldn't forget. And I played in the the um, vocals and actually the vocals that you hear on the track were the vocals that I used the day that I wrote it. I, I recorded the the vocals maybe like three or four times that evening and just that was what I used because I was really, I just felt like it was right. And then after that, everything just came very naturally but yeah it was the chorus the lyrical chorus but it's different every time I'm sure you've heard it so many times from other musicians that it's always different every time you write a song it's never Mm. the same process it's always amazing to hear how that process comes about for different Mm. musicians Mm. and I also wanted to ask you mentioned a little a little bit about sort of your direction in Mm. music and for the Neon Sheep project, where do you think you'll be going next? So can we mm. maybe expect an EP or an album in the works? <laughs> yes, yes. I have lots of plans. This next year is pretty chock-a-block, hopefully. <laughs> I've got a ton of music and a ton of really cool things coming out uh, the next maybe like eight months. And at the end of that, you'll definitely see some sort of EP, album, depending on how many songs make it onto there. But yeah, definitely expect something like that. (laughs) Yay, it's definitely (laughs) exciting. And feel free to send us those songs as well. We'd love to listen to them too. (laughs) My second last question is about your overall impact you want your music to have on people. You mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but did you want to sort of elaborate? Is there something you hope your music does to those who listen to it? Yeah, for sure. I would love to influence people to kind of just be themselves unapologetically and be able to create something or just be whoever they want to be. I really felt so much of my life that I had to fit into this box of what I was as a creative person. And Mm -hmm. The reason I made Neon She was so that I could just not have to do that. So if I, at the moment, my music is like pop, I am going to be going more into a, a more J-pop genre as the months progress. But then after that, I might change my mind and I might want to do another type of genre. And that's that's totally okay. And I think like depending on your state of mind, like that's okay to kind of change your direction. And I want to encourage people to be expressive and to just find joy in that and find joy within themselves for who they are. That's really important to me. Mm, And I can definitely feel that in future and in the covers that you do. It's definitely a great way of sort of expressing (laughs) the the person you are. And I I definitely think that that will have the same sort of impact, at least it has on me and hopefully to (laughs) people listening as well. Thank you so much. That's okay. I guess I wanted to 
end it on this final note about where our listeners can find you where can they go if they want to hear more of your music sure um so i am very active on my instagram which is just neon she n-e-o-n-s-h-e um, but you can find loads of cool stuff going on there at the moment. At the moment, I'm releasing lots of remixes and covers that um, lots of my musical friends have been kind enough to do of future. And you'll be able to find all my latest releases on there. I'm also on all online streaming platforms. So whatever you use, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Apple Music, whatever it is, I should be there. And um, also I'm on SoundCloud, if you don't have any of those, through 23 Unified Frenzy Records. I can be found on there. <laughs> and wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to us and sharing future with us. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks again to the amazing Neon She for her time and for sharing this amazing single with us. We're really glad to have you. And be sure to keep on listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7 because we're getting closer and closer to some of our anime attack discussions. So you'd want to stick around for those. Guess what? You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. And the last song you just heard was Seize the Day by Asaka, which is actually the opening song to the second season of Yuro Camp. And if we just played an anime song, so what must that mean? Ah! Anime! The second season of the anime series Eurocamp or Layback Camp is currently airing at the moment. And it's a very, as the title suggests, laid back anime and chronicles the adventures of these two girls, Rin Shima and Narashigo Kagamihara, and their friends as they travel to various campsites across Japan. So, Ben, you mentioned in earlier discussions that Eurocamp is what kind of got you interested in certain Japanese cooking and camping. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I haven't been out camping since then because I haven't really had an opportunity. Like, because um, you'd have to get all the camping gear and stuff. But I want to try like camping, like somewhere like in the, my backyard or somewhere one time, and with like Japanese cooking because um, basically in the anime, because I didn't realize the second season was running until um, someone brought it up the other day. But I've watched all the first season and also like another like series called Heia Camp which is like a spin-off series. Heia Camp was actually like my introduction to the series because I found it on my recommendations in Crunchyroll mm. and after I finished it it was like wishing that there was more of it and then I found out that it was previously like a whole um a full-length anime. I guess that leads to the, the question what are some of the things that anime has got you interested in? John Paul, did you want to start? You were smiling, <laughs> like something oh came God. to mind. I've always been interested in drawing, especially drawing manga. And I think Bakuman just accentuated it even more. Like that show is about like two high schoolers going on to make manga. And like, I don't know, just watching people draw makes me want to draw. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'd say I watched that when I was like 15 years old and I was feeling kind of lost. I was like, oh, I want to draw a manga, but I don't know how to write or make characters it's too hard and then i watched this show about these two kids just going straight into it i'm like damn i gotta get off my butt and do something you know what i mean mm, yeah, exactly. yeah 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 
I should probably like watch more anime about like hobby anime about like drawing because it would help me to get like more motivated to draw because the one thing that motivates me to draw is um is youtube animators and seeing Mm. like they're like speed paints and all that stuff i have two other ones how heavy are the dumbbells you lift is one that i've been started watching lately and i think it's a very important one for me to watch because it's all about exercise and like gym like i can relate to it because the main girl is like she has like a, a huge appetite and eats like junk food and she becomes friends of someone who like is like a gym buff and has like a muscle fetish and it's all about like for exercise and dieting so that's important for me to watch at the moment i've been watching um d4 dj first mix which is about djing and like edm music that's made me want to be a dj but the problem is is that it's a bit hard to like find like affordable dj courses or anything you look like you have one celeste did you have one that comes to mind? Well, because JP was talking about drawing, something that came to my mind was while playing Pokemon and with the combination of the movie Summer Wars. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Oh, Summer Wars. Yeah. really yeah, love it. So yeah, it got me interested in game design or like designing avatars and upgrades and stuff. So that's what got me into the game development world. And then- Oh, cool. Aaron, yeah. do you have one? It's more like me exploring the world, really. It was, I think it was probably two shows. One I haven't seen yet, but I got interested in it because exploring the other one, well, it's, it's one of them is Attack on Titan, which basically you can explore outside of like home districts or stuff beyond the walls. And the other one is, I haven't seen the show, but I got interested in it called Kino's Journey. Basically, you just explore like everywhere that he goes. That's it. Sort of like seeing or oh, expanding your view of the world. Is that sort of what? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I feel that way with Made in Abyss. It's probably not the same. <laughs> it's not like a happy-go-lucky journey like Kino's journey, but I think oh, just that know. idea that you can still explore something that hasn't been discovered before is absolutely yeah, fascinating. Um, well, mine anime would be Chihayafru, if anyone's seen it. Oh, that's the one with the weird cards, isn't it? The weird, weird cards. It's Karuta. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait, is that the card gambling one? Not the card gambling. It's the one where it's like a two-player game and then you have to try and swipe cards which have the other half of a poem that's being read out by a speaker to the front of the room. It requires a good memorization and listening and I don't think I would have nearly been as interested in the game if I hadn't watched the anime because I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, I think Karata is one that I probably would love to see live in Japan if I ever get to go back. But if you have a favorite anime that has shown you something that you hadn't seen before or has taught you something like a new hobby, let us know on our social media pages at Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7, and you just heard Action by Chai, which leads into our next discussion with Aaron, who is going to take us through a very action packed film the demon slayer movie so aaron take it away thank you for sin features for giving me the opportunity to review demon slayer kimmington and i about the movie mugen train enjoy this review my initial thought back in 2019 my initial thought of demon slayer was just an average series there was nothing special about it even after watching the first season my thoughts was it's just as like a slow prologue that was trying to find its right footing into the door now flash forward 2021 is now regarded as the highest grossest anime if not animated film of all time and is also one of the highest grossest film of 2020 
Now, I had the opportunity to look into this film, and to my surprise, this movie is actually a lot more better than the TV show itself. That's saying something. But for those who haven't seen the TV show as I haven't heard of it, let me give you a quick update of what's happening so far. The story takes place in Federal Japan, as the story focuses on Tundra, a demon who becomes a demon slayer after his sister Nezuko becomes a demon, has become a demon. And Tundra's mission is to find a way to uh, return Nezuko back to human, and also find the one responsible for slaughtering their family. Along the way, they meet Zenitsu and Inosuke, both also became demon slayers, and they're joined on the venture. Now, the film takes place directly after the events of the TV show, as both as the demon, as those main four finds what's going on, trying to figure out what happens with the disappearing people that was on the train, as on the Mugen train, of course. And along the way, they meet a uh, new character, well, exactly not new, but he meets in the TV show. Uh, Flame Hirashi and Rengoku, <coughs> and especially the story focuses on all of them, especially Rengoku. To my surprise, the story works better as a theatrical release than episodic for this arc. I don't know why, because if it was episodic, I don't think it would be mo- that most emotional, effective as it was in the movie. But while the opening, well, I can say the story is actually good. The downside, the, my problem for this one is just the opening act. It was just the opening act. It feels like it was a, really slow and it just drags on a bit. Well, it has a few mo- mo- funny moments here and there, especially with the nose gate. I just feel like the opening act is just one massive slow gro- a slow ride. It's like with the initial five episodes of the TV series. But I can say the story. Well, I can say that the opening act feels like it's a build up as well, and it's a pace off real well. I'm not saying it's bad or anything. It's just it's just I'm not saying it's bad or anything, but it does help establish the characters themselves. As the story itself focuses on two new characters, well, not exactly new anyway. That's, well, one of them is doing anyway at the end, at the near end of the movie, but we won't spoil that part anyway. Flame Hirashi, Flame Hirashi, and and the Lord ones, Imru, the main antagonists for the movie. Well, the main character, well, the main cast from the TV show does get a lot of moments here and there. The film decided to focus more on Renkoku, as he mainly became, and figure out how exactly he became a, uh, one of the Demon Slayer, if not Hirashi's, as well. Well, I could say he's, well, the film dedicated on him, it surprisingly works well for him, especially it plays off, especially his emotional core, especially Along the line, we get to see how he became that person as well. Online, he's doing it for his family, especially with his little brother. That's really cool. But the downside for this is Emu, who's the uh, who we saw at the last episode from the uh, TV series. Well, I'm not saying he's a bad villain. I just say he's less effective to the whole series. He's like the least effective villain. But he does play well. He does play an important role here and there, but it just doesn't work well. It just feels weird. I don't know why. I mean, he's a good villain, but he doesn't play an effective one. Not at all. The animation itself, which is done from UFO table, UFO table, is breathtaking to watch. And the animation is beautiful to watch, especially with the background. You feel like you're just watching a wallpaper, especially with the CG, especially with the environment. It's just CG, not 2D, which I was honestly surprised. Blending with 2D characters as well. If not, from the opening, I have to say something. From the opening act, like when the credits are rolling, of course. It feels like you're watching a Studio Ghibli, if not a, if not cool mixed wave films movie, and that's saying something. That is spectacular to watch. Now the fighting itself is excellent, choreographed, especially well executed. But sometimes the fighting can be wonky at times, especially at the beginning of the second fight between Tanjiro and Osuke versus Emiru. But that is itself is still executed really brilliantly well, especially as Marshall's take onto it. But the final fight, I won't spoil anything for that. That is just breathtaking to watch, especially with the flames as well. Especially with the flames and the water abilities as well from both Tantra and Renkoku. They're both really excellent for that one. And especially it's digital, especially it's beautiful. Funny, fu- funny enough, the film also flashbacks between episode 19 
fight between uh, Tanjiro and Inosuke versus Ryu in episode 19. It's a show is a great comparison between how much the animation has evolved from the uh, from the TV series. That is actually really cool. I like that a lot. The music itself is also good, which is composed by Yuki Kijoa and Go Shin, both returning from the TV series. Well, the music itself has a mix of Japanese feudal era tone and especially a mix of rock or electrical style music. It feels weird hearing it a couple times anyway for the few tracks along the line. But it will grow to you eventually. But the music itself, well, the soundtrack is good. The real heart of the music is the theme song, Humura, which is done by Lisa. Lisa also did the opening and ending theme song for the TV shows, which, I, to be honest, I don't think it was exactly that good, to be honest. It's just my personal opinion. Please don't hate me. But the movie theme song as well is actually probably the best of all of them, especially how emotional effective it can be when the credits are rolling. That's something I don't, that's something that's really cool. But for people who are fans of the series, well, you don't have to tell you don't have to, I don't have to tell you to go watch it. I mean, you can do both. Just go watch it, and eventually I'll tell you to watch it, and stuff like that. It's probably not a good idea to do that. But, you know, overall, what I'll say is that both fans of the manga, and especially the anime series, will enjoy this movie for the actions and emotional stakes from this arc. But for casual fans like myself, and a few others, we'll enjoy it as it is so far. But one thing for certain though, this movie is enjoyable to watch, and I especially can't wait for what season 2 is going to be happening. Especially when we're heading towards you. Especially with now the our announcement of season 2 just came. Overall, this is probably one of the best movies we got so far for 2021. Let's hope this year, let's hope Demon Slayer continue on going forward, being a really good series. Thanks for listening, guys, and thank you for Sin Features giving me the opportunity to review Demon Slayer, giving us an hour about the movie Mook and Drain. Hope you enjoy this. Catch you around. Goodbye. This is Senya. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. This is Senya, your host this evening. And you just heard How Many by Kwapdad4000 and Ilmind. Because this kind of ties into our next discussion. Because someone incredibly famous that I'm sure you've heard of has turned 35 this year. Want to find out who it is? Well, keep on listening. Guess who's 35 years old? <laughs> me! <laughs> it's me, Mario! Oh, Mario! I mean, that's a great entrance. We're going to keep that in. So, <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone has heard, but Nintendo is releasing a Mario-themed Nintendo Switch. So it's like red and blue to mark the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Bros. Oh, happy birthday, Mario. Happy, happy birthday, Mario. Still, <laughs> still trying to um, get... Princess Peach, it seems. They're never um, gonna, yeah. <laughs> but as well as the Switch, they're also releasing a version of Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. So I believe they tried to release it on Wii U, but it kind of flopped. So they want to try and make it available to more users through Nintendo Switch. But, you know, the plot's the same. You know, Mario mm. and his friends are trying to save the princesses captured by Bowser, She's as expected. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what are the, does everyone think about Mario? Like, do you remember what, how you first were introduced to the game? Do you feel like it's something that still interests you now? I remember beating him in the Olympics at Sonic. That's all I can remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. Classic. Yeah, that's how it- 
that's how I got introduced to Mario, to be honest. My first experience with Mario was with one of those, you know, those Chinese knockoff games you can get, like, they're these <laughs> controllers, right? Yeah. And you can hook them up to the TV, and they have all these pirated games on it. Mm. And I think some of the earliest Mario games were there. And that's kind of how I was introduced to that nice, happy, jumping Italian man. <laughs> How about you, Celeste? Do you remember? I think I played an edition of the 2D version. It came out on the 3DS as a free download because of some event. And I hated it because I don't like 2D platformers. I think they're boring, <laughs> oh, unfortunately. No. Yeah, I don't play 2D platformers often. But I had a friend lend me their 3DS game version of it. And it involves like <laughs> 3D world. <sorry. laughs> Best way to explain it. It's a 3D world and it's like 3D platforming and stuff, which was a, a bit more enjoyable because like you could do like little tactics and stuff to try and defeat the boss in that level and stuff. And I enjoyed that. But like in terms of Mario going forward, there's like so many different games and it feels like Nintendo is just milking it for what it's worth and it just lacks any appeal to me. It doesn't yeah. really change much with each game. It seems to be the same kind of objective. You go through different levels, unlock the next one and then continue. They have Princess Peach and so on and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> New abilities, that's it as well. I remember my first encounter was back when I used to go to after school care in primary school. So I was maybe like six or seven. And in the room where all of the kids would go after school, they had a PlayStation 2. And they had, I think it's like the Mario 3D one where there's like this castle and you go through all of these different pictures. Uh, Yes, that's the one that I played. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Mario 64. Mario 64. Okay, that's what it's on. You said PS2, right? Is it PS2? Yeah, it's on Nintendo 64. Nintendo 64. How? That makes more sense. But yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting, especially, you know, when the levels got a bit more challenging. It's a good way of passing the time at after school care. I guess this game has lasted so long that people are still buying it, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> or still interested in it. I mean, it just works, right? It's just a happy, cute, yeah. happy Italian man. And everyone loves it, I think. Mm. Like in, remember back in Swimming Carnival, John Paul? Oh, yeah. None of us would really like to go swim in any of the events. So we'd all bring our right. DS and we'd play Mario <laughs> Kart. <laughs> oh, Mario Kart. While everyone's swimming, we're just yeah, like, yeah, racing. Everyone loves Mario Kart. <laughs> Let us know what you think about the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers on our social media pages. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation. And we'd love to know whether you think Mario is getting too old or if there's still a little more fun to have with this iconic franchise. Tea is a very soothing drink, which ties in to our next discussion about a very relaxing exhibit that's happening at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. But Celeste, take it away. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about the NGV Triennial, and I mentioned how I didn't really like to stare at art. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if everyone shares the same sentiment. Yeah. um, Speaking of art, there is an exhibition going on in Sydney at the Powerhouse Museum in December, and it features 16th century stone Buddhas, which were first found in the ruins of a temple in South Korea. So half of the figures will sit in a room with Moscow 
covered brick flooring with the other half embedded in a wall with 700 speakers, which will play a soundscape of dripping waters and bells. And so this is meant to coincide with the 60th anniversary of diplomatic relations between Korea and Australia, which is pretty sweet, if you ask me. Mm. So yeah, I'm a bit cut that it's in Sydney because, <laughs> you know, we're in Melbourne. I don't even know if the borders are open for us to go. Yeah, to <laughs> <laughs> opening and closing. I honestly can't keep track anymore. Yeah, but like with this installation, I really love that it's in a room full of speakers. Like there's 700 speakers, and it's going to play a soundscape. And I just I want to experience that. Like it's it won't be just about staring at art. It's that feeling of the music and the rooms vibrating against you. I don't know. How do you feel about? this sort of installation well it's a pretty good way of uh commemorating the australian korean relations with the greatest asmr session <laughs> i love it it's great it's a good idea i'm not really sure like aside from it being in australia i'm not sure if there's much else that australia is bringing to the scenario <laughs> oh yeah the speakers i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i like it i think this is a great way of kind of experiencing art as a multi-sensory experience rather than you look at a painting and it's all just visual and it's up to you to interpret it's just like a whole sensation I think that's pretty cool Mm. but yeah I find that the the speakers are going to be the interesting part because you sort of imagine that these Buddha statues would be in like a meadow covered in moss but having that soundscape is just going to be quite jarring but I'm sure quite the experience of calm meditation Mm. How, how old did you say these statues were? Oh, I yeah. think they're from the 16th century. So that's like 1500s, yeah. about 500 years old. Wow, those are some old statues. Yeah. I think what would be cool is if, because it was a moss-covered brick flooring, right? If we had yeah. like a few pillows on the floor Ooh. and we just sit in there and meditate. Because like Buddhism <laughs> is all about like reflecting and meditation. Yeah. And like with the soundscape playing in the background, that would be fun. Like, oh, okay. I'd probably be so in the zone, gonna open up that seventh chakra or something. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Reach nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what else they're gonna have in the exhibition. That's what I would wanna find out. Whether it's worth going up to Sydney and risking border closures to go see. Aaron, did you have any thoughts? Would you go visit this museum? I guess I'll give it a shot. I mean, I was kind of interested in a couple of museums, but I guess I can go for this one as well. Yeah. So you're gonna go to Sydney, like, for <laughs> Yeah, I'll risk it. Why not? <laughs> but in the meantime, I think that's it. Woo. Nice cut. Woo. Yeah. Cooey rock. Wait, that's the place. And you've reached the end of our show here at Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. If you also want to see the playlist of the songs we played on tonight's show, you can check it out on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Our tag is at Asian Pop Nation, all one word, all lowercase. And guess what? Next week, we are going to be doing our first collab of the year. Woo! Isn't that exciting? We're going to have some amazing discussions with the team over at Art Smitten. So do check out their show, Art Smitten Airs, on Wednesdays from 4 till 6. You know where Asian culture and arts intersect? Well, that's what we'll be talking about next week. And just so I can get a little bit more Japanese practice in, Jamatane, bye bye for now. This is Senya, signing off.